Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. What's up, guys? Today I'm so excited to discuss about local SEO. I know that I get a bunch of questions about uh, getting results with local results. And I think it's the best time to learn more about that because we have a guest, Greg Gifford. How are you? I'm good. And I, I feel like I got to be really awesome now because that was a really badass intro that you had there. So, like, I feel the pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, um, I, I have a team. Uh, they are actually in Ukraine. And, you know, uh, it's interesting. I never uh, give them the exact task, what they need to film or create. I just uh, send them a profile and tell, please create something new, interesting. And yeah, they create such promo rolics. That was I, awesome. I love them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Before we start, just uh, tell our audience uh, more about you, your background experience and why you pay uh, a lot of attention with local SEO. So yeah, uh, I kind of just fell into the local SEO niche because years and years ago when I started doing SEO legitimately, I was working at a company that did websites for used car dealers. So I was kind of exclusively working with car dealers and the local algorithm applied to car dealers. And so I was really digging into what mattered there. And I was at that company for eight years. And then I switched to another automotive company for four years after that. So for the first kind of 12 years in there, 12, 13 years, I was exclusively working with the vertical for car dealers, which was only local SEO. And so I kind of, you know, dug in, learned everything that I could. And then during that time was when I started speaking at conferences and became a popular conference speaker and everybody likes my style. And so I became a, a popular speaker on local SEO. So it kind of just went from there. And now I've, you know, I'm lucky enough that people dig my presentations and my presentation style. So I get invited to speak all over the world. So it's, it's pretty fun. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, uh, I definitely love your style, uh, especially now when I have new clients. Uh, I need to check out one more time uh, what you can share about local SEO, some interesting insights. And uh, I have the first question. Um, uh, for example, if someone want to get uh, results from local SEO, where to start? What to do first? Because uh, local SEO is quite different with generic SEO methods. And um, I often see when uh, website owners tell me you need to get uh, relevant links from uh, other regions, you know, uh, is it a good idea or not? Please share more insights about local SEO. So yeah, uh, one of the, for, for people that are just really starting to learn about local, one of the things that I always suggest is digging into a study that happens every year called the local search ranking factor study, because obviously nobody really knows what's in Google's algorithm, but if you take these top experts across the globe, and they usually it's like 35 to 40 people every year that they send out this really in-depth survey because, you know, obviously you could put five SEOs in a room and tell them all to optimize a website. They're all going to do it differently, but there's going to be a lot of overlap in the elements that they're touching because they're all going to know which things Google is looking at. So when you take that kind of concept to the, the survey and you give the survey to all of these experts and then you kind of aggregate the answers, you see those areas of overlap and you get a pretty good handle for the things that influence visibility. And so that, if you're just getting into local, is a great place to start because it will help you understand the difference between 
Google's traditional algorithm and Google's local algorithm. And then there's other places to go. I've got a local SEO training course that just came out at Bright Locals Academy. I've done uh, a local training course for SEM Rush at their academy. I've got a weekly video series called Local Search Tuesdays that comes out on the Search Lab digital site every Tuesday and on all of our socials. So there's a lot of places you can go to learn these things. And then, you know, you asked about links or actually, you know, where to start, learn the stuff first. Then if you're actually going in to do the SEO, where to start is do analysis first because there is no right answer of where to start. Some sites are going to need a lot more work on links. Other sites are going to need a lot more work on content. Some are going to need a lot more work on their Google business profile. So you kind of have to have a solid understanding of what signals matter and then do an analysis to see what the weak points are, what the low-hanging fruit is that you can knock out first. And then your question about links. Yeah, when you're doing local SEO, typically you want those links to come from local websites, local entities. Now, that doesn't mean avoid big, powerful links or links from something that's in a different region. If there's relevancy there, you always want to get the link. But mm -hmm. a lot of people coming from traditional that start to do local, they're much more worried about, oh, is this a relevant link from a relevant business, even if it's somewhere else? And they don't look at you know, the most powerful links in local are typically the links that come from local websites, local businesses. And you kind of have to ignore all of the things that you've learned about link building in the past, because in local, it doesn't really matter if it's a no follow link, it still passes value. And mm -hmm. it doesn't really, you know, a lot of people really concentrate on that authority metric, whether it's domain authority or page rank or, you know, whatever, whichever link tool you're using, they're going to have some sort of an authority metric. And we don't really care about that in local because, you know, if you get a link from a church, that's a great website to get a link from because it's hyper local and really valuable down to almost a neighborhood level. But churches don't do SEO, so they're not going to have a high authority score. But that doesn't mean that that link's not incredibly valuable. So you kind of mm -hmm. have to learn some of the things that traditional SEO would have taught you. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Uh, got it. Uh, can you uh, tell what is the main difference between uh, common SEO uh, and local SEO? How we can differentiate them and know that we uh, do a good job with local SEO, not uh, traditional SEO? Yep. So the main difference is that when you're talking about the local algorithm, you're really only trying to show up in a certain geographic area. You don't need to show up worldwide or even nationwide mm -hmm. or even across an entire region. Typically, your results are going to be constrained to the city or metro area that you're in. So it's a different target. Uh, even if you want to try to show up elsewhere, local doesn't really work like that. And then the other bit is there are signals that are weighted slightly differently. Uh, you know, I just talked about how links work differently as well. But the main thing about local is there's some additional things that you have to do with local that you don't have to do with traditional, like citations. Now, they're not as important as they used to be, but a citation is anytime another website mentions the name, address, and phone number of the business, it needs to be consistent. So you have to worry about that as another offsite signal. And you really have to worry a lot about your customer reviews, which is something sure businesses may worry about if they're doing traditional but reviews don't play into the traditional algorithm 
like they do in local. And then your Google business profile or what most of us are still going to call Google My Business because they just rebranded it and we'll call it the wrong name for another mm -hmm. year or two. But Google business profiles are huge. And th those are what allow you to show up in Google Maps or in the map pack where you've got the map and the three results. And so you have those additional things that you have to worry about. And then how you judge success is really the same way you judge success with traditional SEO. It's not about ranking. It's not about anything other than are you helping the business solve the problem that they hired you to solve, which is they need more leads so they can sell more of what they're selling. So ultimately, yeah, you want to look at visibility and yeah, you want to track traffic, but you can't just go, hey, we got you more traffic, so we're winning. It's is, is your site generating more visibility, which results in more traffic to the site, which results in more leads, which results in more sales. Because ultimately, your client, or if you're in-house, your business only cares about increasing sales. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice, valuable. Okay, uh, you mentioned about citations. Uh, I, uh, you know, I see two ways uh, to provide this job manually uh, to register myself or uh, to use some tools, uh, most, uh, many other great tools. Can you tell which way is better and how to control the process and whether we need to pay more attention uh, about the correct information on different citations? Just more insights about that. Yeah, so citations used to be a lot more weighted than they are today as Google's algorithm has gotten smarter and machine learning has allowed them to figure some things out. The weight of citations in the whole mix of the local algorithm has really been reduced. It used to be very important that everything matched, like even down to character for character level of name, address, phone number was exactly the same everywhere. Now it's not as important that it matches everywhere because if there's a couple of sites over here that maybe your phone number is different on and your address is different on, Google's not really going to care. Uh, we really worry more about the citations on a human touch point side of things that if a potential customer finds you on one of those other sites, we want to make sure it's the right information so that they can contact you and become a customer. And if you know you changed call tracking providers a year ago and forgot to update yellowpages.com or some site like that, and that customer finds you there and it's the wrong phone number, they're not going to go to Google and look for the right number. They're going to go to the next person on the site that they're on. So we're almost worried about citations more for the human side than the algorithm side now. But as far as how to do it, you know, it is still important if your business moves or if you change the phone number or whatnot, you want to make sure that the right information is out there. So typically, you could go either way. You could do it manually. If you've got staff in place to be able to do it manually, you could do it manually. But there's a lot of services out there that will do it for you. And they're very, very affordable services. Uh, White Spark's got a service that does it. Moz has a service that does it. Bright Local has a service that does it. So, you know, a couple hundred bucks and you could just have them go out and bang it out for you and be done. Cool. Why not do that? Unless you've just got staff that is trained on how to do it and could do it quickly and efficiently and you want to handle it yourself. Sure. You could do that too, but there's nothing wrong with paying somebody else to do it for you, especially because years ago, citations were something you would do every month. You'd continually try to go out and get as many citations as possible and make them, you know, exactly consistent everywhere. Now you don't have to do citations all the time. It's kind of more of a foundational factor that you need to get right at the beginning. But after that, getting more and more and more doesn't do anything for you. So typically pay a service to do it. Super easy. Knock it out. Uh, depending on where you are in the world, 
Uh, there are some services that will send out to the primary data aggregators that will then feed out information to all the other directory sites. You could do that as well. But most of the time, you're kind of still more worried about what we do. For example, we're worried about the human touch point as much or more than we're worried about the algorithm. So we'll submit to those aggregators. We'll pay to have that done. So it sends out everywhere. If there's any major, major problems, then we'll go and fix those. Like if a business has just moved or open a new location or whatever, we'll do that. But other than that, typically all we're going to do for somebody that already exists and doesn't have any problems is submit to the aggregator so we know the right information is flowing out. And then we're going to do a Google search for the name of that business and go through the first two or three pages of search results. And any site that shows up that has that business's name, address, and phone number, we want to be sure that it's the correct information on those sites. Because the sites that show in the first two to three pages of search results are the ones that are most likely to have a human find them on a different site other than Google. And that's why we care. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. Love it, love it. Okay, uh, I have the question about uh, multi-places, uh, for example, or multi-locations. Uh, if a business has uh, a few offices or uh, stores, I don't know, uh, how to optimize all these locations for Google? Uh, do we need to create uh, separate pages or we can submit all this information for one page? Uh, from your experience, how to do it? Yeah, so there's there's two different scenarios here. You have some businesses that have multiple locations, but it's more of like a franchise type setup and each location has its own website. Cool, you just treat that like its own business, even though it's part of a multi-location deal. If you've got mm -hmm. your own site, you're doing things just the same as you normally would. If we're talking about a multi-location business that has a single website, but multiple locations, then yeah, it is gonna be different. So typically you're gonna have a location finder type of experience somewhere on the, on the site. You wanna make sure that if you do have that location finder widget or page, that it leads to an individual page for each location and not just one page that has a list of all of your locations. Because when you link to a website page off of the Google business profile for each of these individual locations, if it's a single location business, your link from your Google business profile is going to go to your homepage. If it is a single website with multiple locations, the link from the Google business profile needs to go to the location page for the location that that Google business profile is about. And that location page is the page that should have your local business schema markup on it. And that's why you need a really robust, awesome page for that location so that you're seen as relevant in search results. And that's also the location that you're going to have that local business schema markup. So you definitely want to have a really robust, awesome page for each individual location on the site. And then talking the local SEO strategy, it gets a little more complex because if we're in the scenario of one location, one website, then the whole website is going to be optimized around that location. If we're talking one website, multiple locations, you can't optimize each page on the site for every location that you have. It just doesn't work that way, which means your top level product or service pages probably won't be geo-optimized and they'll just talk about, here's what we do. And then you're going to potentially have those primary product or service pages for each location as well. So mm -hmm. you're going to, you know, let's say you've got a, a website with 10 different locations all across, let's say, Germany. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to have the main menu. We'll just talk about the product or service that you offer. And then you're going to have your 10 location pages, you know, one for Munich, one for Berlin, one for Cologne or whatever it would be. 
And then each of those would have links out to the primary product or service pages that are optimized around Munich and the private or the pages optimized around Berlin. And so it works like that. And then as you're doing your link building strategy and you're wanting to get those local links, now you have to do additional link building because you're not just going in one location. Now you've got those 10 locations in the 10 cities all across Germany, and you're going to need to do links from Munich-based sites and businesses to the Munich-based section or silo of the site. Uh, you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned robust, awesome page. Uh, can you share more about that? Because, you know, uh, uh, my audience often ask me, uh, what quality content means? How do I know that it's quality content? But you mentioned uh, robust, uh, oh, sorry, awesome page. Yeah. Can yeah. you tell how to create this page? <laughs> Yeah, because most of the time people are going to have that individual location page and it's just basically going to at best maybe have a picture of that location and then it's going to say, you know, name, address, phone number, and that's it. And there's nothing else on the page. And you need more on the page because you're probably competing against other businesses where the entire site is optimized around that city and you don't have the entire site optimized around that city. So that page should have more information, you know, local landmarks, things that you're near to, information about that particular location, store, and, and services that it provides. The examples I always like to give when people are like, well, hey, what should this look like? Home Depot has awesome location landing pages. REI has awesome location landing pages. And Whole Foods has awesome mm -hmm. location landing pages. So check those out where you can have a template and... You know, you may have your top line information and a photo of the location here and then a big long description of the location here and then information about the local area here and reviews from local customers here so that as you go from location page to location page, they all look the same, but it's unique content in each of those areas. You want to make sure that there's enough meat on the bones there for Google to say, oh, okay, these guys are awesome and irrelevant answer to the question searches are asking. And also you got to think about the human side. If you do show up well in local searches and someone clicks on that link from your Google business profile over to that landing page, do you have anything there to tell people why you're awesome, why they should buy from you, why you're better than local competitors? If it's just a picture of the location and the name, address, phone number, okay, whoop do you do? There's nothing there to make you stand out. So think about that too. That's another tip that I always like to give to people is we all have blinders on, whether we're a marketing agency or a freelancer working for a, a business or whether we work in-house at that business or whether we're the business owner looking at our own site. We all have blinders on. We understand what that site is about. We understand what that business sells and what the solutions are that that business offers. So we get it. But that doesn't mean that someone that's never been to that site and never bought that product or service before can find the answer that they're looking for on your site. So you always kind of have to take a step back and think about what it would be like for someone to come to that website and land on the homepage or land on a location page if it's a multi-location business. Do they find what they need to answer their questions so that they feel confident that that business is the place that they want to buy from? If you take those blinders off and think about that, a lot of times you're going to be pretty freaked out and realize that, your site could be a whole lot better than it is.
By yes. the way, these guys are from North Korea. I don't know they can optimize their websites or not. They have no internet, <laughs> but they, they are interested about that. Okay, we have a good question from Susan Brown. Do you guys do SEO in other languages? How do you approach multi uh, multilingual SEO? What do you think? So, yeah, so we don't. We just do SEO in English because that's what our kind of core competency is. We have uh, worked with uh, clients that needed Spanish language SEO as well. And we have partners that we work with to do that because we don't get enough clients to make it worth hiring someone that is bilingual to be able to, to serve that. It's much easier to have partners to work with. And, you know, when it comes to international SEO, yeah, there's a whole lot of things that come into play with you have to, you know, set hreflang to let Google know, hey, this is the, the English language version or the German language version or the French or Italian or whatever it would be. And then you've got to do all of the it's, you know, one of the big things that people screw up on and why we like to outsource when we come up with clients that need multilanguage is it's not just a straight translation. You know, mm -hmm. if I was going to just put Google Translate on the page, that doesn't a help because you're not going to show up in a search that's that's conducted in a different language than what the website is in. If your content is in English and you're wanting to show up in French or German or Russian, that potential customer is searching in French or German or Russian, not in English. So that translate isn't going to help. And then that translate is only going to translate word for word. And language structure is different between different language and colloquialisms are different. Regional dialects are different. And it is too hard to say, okay, we've got this page in English or we've got this page in French and now we need to convert it to a different language. And you just run it through a translation algorithm. It's not going to read like conversational English or conversational French or conversational Russian. So it's really important to make sure that that content is written by a native speaker. Yeah, I agree. Even more, this native speaker needs to understand your topic you now and your products because if you just hire a translator who, who uh, can provide a good job without understanding the product, so it's possible <laughs> that results sure, will not sure. come good. Yeah. Okay. I have the question, for example, if some business has um, uh, one product, good product, and uh, 10 separate locations, uh, it's hard to create content for all these locations with one product. Uh, how to decide this problem? Uh, can you tell from your experience? For example, do we need to create 10 separate uh, pages with uh, this product and rewrite all of them? Or it's better to find some other ways? No, no, no. I would definitely, you know, let's let's use uh, an attorney for that situation. Mm -hmm. Let's say it's a divorce attorney. Uh, that divorce attorney has 10 different locations. You would need 10 different location-focused divorce attorney pages. And yeah, is it tough to rewrite it? Yeah, it is, but you've got to because you don't want 10 of the exact same page on your site and all you do is change out the name of the city. That's not valuable. So it is more work because you're going to have to rewrite content 10 times, but you don't need to have all of that in the primary menu. So if you come up and it's like, you know, legal services we provide or whatever that would be, and you click that and it would be, you know, divorce attorney, but you wouldn't need divorce attorney, Dallas, divorce attorney, Chicago, divorce attorney, LA, divorce attorney, Denver. You wouldn't need all of those listed. You just need the primary one. But then when you go to the location landing page for Dallas, that is linked to from the Dallas Google business profile, then that location landing page that we talked about a minute ago with all the robust information would have a link to 
Dallas divorce attorney page, and then you get there contextually to that Dallas divorce attorney page that is optimized for being a Dallas divorce attorney. And it's important to have a link from that Dallas page so that there's relevancy among the content in that little silo on your site. But it's also really important, not for the human path of landing on the landing page and going to the city-focused product page, but you need that city-focused product page for the potential customers or clients that are in that city searching for that solution. Because if you're competing against other, again, let's use the divorce attorney. If I'm looking for a divorce, a divorce attorney in Dallas, there's going to be a lot of divorce attorneys that are only in Dallas. So their entire site is optimized around Dallas. But I'm working with a firm that has multiple locations. And if I only had that generic divorce attorney page, it's not going to show up well compared to all of the other options in town that are optimized around Dallas. So I do need that Dallas-focused and Dallas-optimized page on my site so that potentially when people are searching, that page is seen as a relevant result. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. Uh, guys, I just want to tell, uh, I hope you can avoid divorce uh, issues at any time. So <laughs> it's only an example. And by the way, Susan want to get your call. I don't know. <laughs> you can decide. <laughs> uh, okay, I have the question about um, uh, common SEO mistakes for local SEO. Do you have a list of mistakes that it's better to avoid and, and why? I mean, we could talk for like five or six hours on common mistakes to avoid. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I mean, uh, let's start with the Google business side, the Google My Business or Google Business Profile. So uh, number one, category selection is hugely important. The categories that you select have a massive influence on how you're going to show up in searches. And the biggest mistake that we see is people not choosing all of the relevant categories. So typically... Uh, there's going to be at least three or four for a lot of businesses. There's going to be up to 10 categories that are applicable that could be chosen. And there's 10 slots that you can fill. But you see businesses like, you know, we work with a lot of car dealerships in the U.S. There's for sure more than 10 categories that you could choose. And we'll see dealerships that will only have one category selected. Mm -hmm. Or we'll see attorneys that will just have the attorney category and not divorce attorney or personal injury attorney or criminal defense attorney selected. So not selecting the right categories uh, or all the categories that apply is a big one. Not having your correct hours listed, which seems like crazy because you would think everybody would do that, but you'd be surprised how many people don't have that selected correctly. Not having a local area code phone number listed on your Google business profile is huge. Nobody needs toll-free numbers anymore. Everybody has mobile phones that they can call whatever for free. So you need that local area code number. That's a huge signal. Um, on the website side of things, uh, when we're talking single location, or let's talk multi-location first. Biggest mistakes on multi-location sites, like I said earlier, is a location finder page and not individual location landing pages for each location. Also, not creating locally focused product or service pages for each location. Single location sites, biggest mistakes are just not optimizing the site well like creating content for the sake of content and not optimizing that content or creating really crappy content. You know, the, the idea that I always like to tell people to keep in their heads is if you want to show up as a search result, when a potential customer is searching for something in Google, you need a page of content on your website about the concept that that person is searching for. And that page on your site 
needs to be the best answer in the local area to the question that that searcher is asking. That's going to be really hard to do with less than a couple hundred words. And you'd be surprised how many sites out there will have a page that's got 75 words on it and that's it. And they wonder why they're not showing up in search when all their competitors have 700, 800, 1,000, 1,200 words. It's tough to write the best answer to the question in 75 words or 100 words or even 250 words. So make sure your content is truly answering the question that the searcher is asking. Make sure you're optimizing it well. A lot of people will do SEO, but they skip the link building part because link building is hard and time consuming. So that's another big mistake is not doing the link building side. So gosh, I mean, there's there's so much there. People list multiple cities on their website. They, mm -hmm. they say, oh, we, you know, welcome to our site. We also serve customers in and they list off 20 cities. You're not going to show up in those cities just because you listed them in a comma separated list. And you would never say that to somebody that just walked in your front door. So why do you have it on your site? Mm -hmm. Yeah, got it. Okay. Uh, I have the question about link building. Uh, you know, um, I check out some uh, SEO uh, link building campaigns for local SEO and found that uh, uh, one of the tips to uh, take part in local events uh, and to be sponsor of these events. Can you tell, is it a good idea? Uh, because it's against uh, Google guidelines. Uh, but uh, uh, it's uh, the main recommendation for many guys. What do you think about that? Do we need it's to? It's not really that? against Google guidelines. Mm -hmm. Google just says you can't buy links. Mm -hmm. Like Google's okay with you buying a sponsorship that results in a link because you're now now sure realistically don't follow a link. <laughs> realistically, people that are buying mm -hmm. sponsorships are typically buying the sponsorships because they want to get the link. So technically, they are buying the link you're not just directly paying somebody to put a link on a website somewhere. You're buying a sponsorship. There is a value in the real world offline for the thing that you are purchasing and sure a link comes with it. So that's totally okay. And it's a great strategy. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, little league teams, peewee hockey, peewee football, uh, you know, those things are great. Couple hundred bucks a year, golf tournaments, five K's, you know, community, like highway cleanup, things like that. It's really easy to do, but the thing that most people screw up with is they don't think about the pattern. Again, take the blinders off. Think about what it looks like. At the simplest level, Google is really just an advanced pattern detection program. So when you're looking at your links, if all of the links that you're getting are sponsorship links, that's not a natural pattern. And that's when you're going to risk some sort of a penalty or you just get to a point where those links aren't benefiting the website. So you want to have a good mix of tactics with your link building strategy, because if you're doing only sponsorship link building or only guest posts or only building links by going and filling out stuff on directories, which is a dumb idea anyway, but if it's if, it, if your link profile really skews towards the vast majority of the links are from one tactic, that's a bad idea. And that's what you'd want to avoid. But as long as it's part of a standard mix and your profile looks natural, then heck yeah, go do those, those sponsorship links. They're awesome. Mm -hmm. Got it. Uh, what do you think about uh, irrelevant links, but local links? For example, if we get links from uh, local publications, uh, forums, uh, or any places, you know, even with authority, but they are completely irrelevant. Uh, but it's they're not. Irre mm -hmm. But they're not irrelevant if they're local. Mm -hmm. If they're local. So that's a, another one of the things that traditional SEO people have to unlearn when they start doing local, because in traditional, 
you know, you're really worried that there is a relevant reason. There's got to be some reason for that site to link to you and the business needs to be kind of related. But in local, a link from a local business, the locality of that link is the relevance factor. You know, I could be working with a plastic surgeon and they could get a link from a dry cleaner and there's no tie there whatsoever other than maybe the plastic surgeon takes as close to the dry cleaner and likes a dry cleaner and a dry cleaner or the plastic surgeon created a blog post and mentioned that the dry cleaner was awesome or whatever it would be and gets a link back. It doesn't mean that's a bad link because dry cleaners have no reason to link to a, a plastic surgeon. They're right up the street from each other. It's local. I mean, same thing with the church. I mentioned earlier, church links are great, but they're not going to be a high authority link. And you might think, oh, there's no reason for a church to link to my car dealership site or my chiropractor site or my underwater basket weaving studio site or whatever it would be. But it does have a reason because it's in the same town as you in the same neighborhood as you. So mm -hmm. that local factor means it is a relevant link. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, for example, uh, is it good idea to create content for uh, irrelevant content for a website? For, uh, I don't know, to submit to news or blogs uh, about local events. Uh, for example, I don't know, like uh, dancing, uh, any events. And uh, But uh, for example, if I have uh, a coffee shop, but I add uh, news about local events that, that is are completely different you know, from my uh, yep. products. What do you think? Yeah, exactly. That's another thing that you have to unlearn coming from traditional to local because it's not irrelevant because you are a business in a local community and you're involved in that community and you're part of that community. So there's nothing wrong with talking about things going on in the community that are near to or related to or around your business. A lot of business owners will freak out about that and go, I don't need to talk about local events or I don't want to put a list of my five favorite places to get pizza in town. That has nothing to do with what I'm selling, but there's two kind of important sides to this. Number one, it is relevant because you are part of that community and it will help you build local relevance in Google's eyes. If you make your site a local destination and you share that local information, that local information that you're writing about also potentially helps you get local links. So mm -hmm. all of it plays nicely together. The other side of it is, Again, take the blinders off and think about how people search. If everything on your site was only about the product or service that you sell, that's a really narrow focus on the potential audience of local customers that you would want to reach because you're only going to show up as a search result if someone is looking to buy right now, which mm -hmm. is not that many people of what you could potentially reach in the local area. So think of it almost like, putting a billboard up on the highway that somebody's going to drive by every day on their commute. You don't put that billboard up expecting that every person that sees the billboard is going to buy from you, but you put it up for brand awareness. Same thing with these locally focused posts. You're not expecting that person to land on a blog post about, you know, the local events that are, that are happening or, you know, the city celebration that's next month or your list of five favorite burger restaurants. That's not content meant to get someone to find you and submit a lead and buy from you. That's content that's meant for discovery. You want people to see your website and know that you exist before they're looking to buy what you're selling because then they already know about you and you're more likely to be in consideration if they already know about you when before they may not know about you and you may not be in consideration because they've already heard about other competition. 
So it's two sides of the coin. You want to build that local relevancy, which people think isn't relevant because it's not related to the business, but it is. And then you also want that really super early in the funnel or even pre-funnel customer to find you. And that way they're more likely to come back and convert when they are looking to buy what you're going to sell. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. Got it. Okay. Uh, you know, on Google business profile, we have the feature to post, you know, some content. Uh, is it a good idea to use this feature and uh, where we, uh, potential customers can see this post? Yep. So those are called Google posts. They're awesome. A lot of people quit using them because when they first came out, they showed up at the top of the Google business profile and now they've been moved to the bottom on desktop. But most people are searching on mobile and they're a lot more visible on mobile, kind of mixed in with the search results. Plus, even on desktop, people still see them. The biggest mistake people make, though, is they treat it like social media. And they're sharing the same stuff that they would share on Facebook or Twitter, Instagram. And that doesn't work. Really, you want to approach them like free ads because that's basically mm -hmm. what they are. It's a free ad. It's a free call out that appears to help you stand out from competitors and try to attract people to click through. So don't share social fluff. Don't share junk that you would share on Instagram or Facebook. That's not what it's for. Don't even share blog posts that you write. You want to do something that's promotionally focused. You want something that's going to make you stand out. You want something that people are going to see and want to click on. It's got to be compelling because most of the time people are seeing these posts before they've been to your website and before they know anything about you. So that's mm -hmm. why the social fluff doesn't work. Social fluff works on social because people already know about you and they've chosen to follow you. In this case, they don't know who you are. You want something compelling because you know they're shopping around trying to find a solution to their problem. You want to do everything you can to stand out from your competitors and attract those people. And that's why posts are awesome. Mm -hmm. Nice. Got it. Yeah, it's better to use them. Okay, we have the question from Brandon Carter. My Google listing uh, that's been up five years with 50 positive reviews got taken down a few months ago. Do you know how can I get it back? I did everything that they told me. So Brandon, that would kind of depend on, are you talking about your reviews got taken down or your entire listing got taken down? Uh, I'm going to guess that you probably mean your listing and not just the reviews. If it's just the reviews, there is an issue right now that uh, Google has kind of turned up the spam filter on reviews. So a lot of reviews are being falsely detected as spam and being taken away. Uh, typically, you're just going to want to contact support to try to get those back. If you're talking about your entire listing has been taken down, then that means you got suspended for some reason. Uh, you'll need to contact support and uh, first check Google's guidelines and make sure that you just because you've had it for five years doesn't mean you're actually eligible to have that listing. Okay, he's saying his entire listing. Uh, Brandon, can you comment back what kind of business you are? Because you want to make sure that sometimes you're able to set up a Google business profile, even though you're not eligible for one. And then it just takes some time for Google to figure out. So maybe you weren't eligible in the first place. And that's why it got taken down. If you can combat, comment back and let us know, that will let me know. Uh, but let's let's just keep going with your entire listing got suspended and taken down. You'll want to check the guidelines and see what you may have done to violate those guidelines and fix that. Uh, you know, maybe you were adding additional keywords to your business name and that's what caused you to get suspended. Or maybe you've had it for five years, but you moved recently 
uh, septic tank service. Okay, so you're a service-based business, which means you won't have a public address shown and you're just a service area. You probably entered in the address of your home or of your business. So potentially, if you moved that address, that would cause a suspension. You just have to go back to support and say, look, this got taken down. I don't know why it got suspended. And they'll ask you to, to send some documents to prove that you're the business owner and get re-verified. Uh, but yeah, there have been a lot of suspensions lately. So it's probably you changed your phone number, you changed your address, and that caused the suspension. If you didn't do those and it just happened out of the blue, uh, okay, he thinks that's what it was. So yeah, most likely that's typically what's going to cause that suspension is changing the address or the phone number. And all you have to do is re-verify. And if that's the case, Google just wants to be sure that that's legitimately something that should have changed and that you're not doing something shady. You'll just need to re-verify and that's fine. If it's something else, you're going to want to check those terms of service and guidelines to see what it was that you may have violated and then fix it and then apply for reinstatement. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. Yeah, good advice. Okay, we have the question. I have seen a company using just hyperlinks on their content. There is nothing like no follow, no refer, nothing. And... Are they hurting their websites SEO? What do you think? So, <laughs> Ali, are you talking about the content that's on their website has links in the content and there is no uh there's there's no information attached to the link other than the straight href equals? Or are you talking about they've got links on other websites pointing back to their site that don't have that information? Either way, if I'm assuming correctly, it's one of those two situations. Now, it doesn't hurt your SEO to not have no follow on a link. Now, obviously, mm -hmm. on another site, you can't really control what they're going to do with the link. So that doesn't matter for your SEO. If you're talking about on their own site, they've got links out to other websites from that site. It doesn't really matter. Like the link is what matters. Whether you put, you know, no open or no follow, that doesn't matter. Like, who cares? Google won't penalize <laughs> you for that. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, um, webmasters often pay a lot of attention about uh, this ratio between no follow, no follow links. I don't know. If you create these links uh, uh, by using white hat SEO, you don't need to care a lot about that. Yeah, and in local SEO, we really don't care about follow or no follow at all because no follow mm -hmm. links still work. So we just don't even pay attention. Yeah. Okay. We have the final question. It is important to build awareness. Uh, what do you think? Your bill No, yeah, for sure. That's one thing. Um, that's why I use that billboard example is to, you know, I, I speak at so many conferences and I do so many podcasts and interviews. I always like to try to have a couple of really simple concepts to share, like the billboard example, because if you just start talking about advanced level stuff and just burn through it, then people are like, oh my God, I don't remember what he said about this or Oh, wait, I'm not sure what that was, or you want to come back and watch the recording. But if you share some simple concepts, then it helps people kind of grasp that. And it's easy to remember and easy to come back to your office and tell your boss or tell your team, hey, this is how this thing works. And yeah, that billboard example is great because that's another thing that, again, people have blinders on and they're on their site all the time and they think they know their site and all they do is optimize for the stuff that they sell. And they forget the fact that if everything on the site is just about what you sell, you're only going to show up if people are looking to buy right now. And if you can build that awareness before people are looking to buy, you're way more likely to get people to buy. And a lot of times, if you build that awareness before people are looking to buy, when it is time to buy, they're just going to come right to you because they know about you and they know you're a solution. 
instead of having to go to Google and go, oh, well, I need a solution to this problem. What can I find in the local area? And then they start searching around. So that's why building that brand awareness beforehand is, is key to success. Nice, nice. Okay, Greg. Yeah, it's a big pleasure to get in my show to learn a lot from you. You know, yeah, I, I love all your replies. And tell uh, our audience how they can reach out to you, learn more about you, follow you. Sure. Yeah, so uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn. It's just LinkedIn slash in slash Greg Gifford. Uh, my social platform of choice is Twitter. So follow me on Twitter. It's just at Greg Gifford on Twitter. Uh, you can also email me if you ever have questions. It's just Greg at searchlabdigital.com. And I've got an open email policy. So any questions anybody ever has, I'll always just answer. I don't try to sell you stuff. I won't ignore you. Like I'll always try to help. It may take a, a few days to get a reply out to you, but you know, I will always answer that way. So those are the ways to get in touch. You know, you can go to the search lab website and check out our blog to see all the content that I put out and the weekly video series that I do, or, you know, watch my socials, watch me on Twitter. I always share links there as well. Okay, guys, you can find all these links in the description below. Listen us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. It's a big pleasure. I think uh, you share a lot of value and all businesses need to do the same. Uh, don't sell, just share and help. And it provokes the feeling guilt to give something back. You know, uh, when you provoke this feeling, people will buy your stuff as well. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Oh, thanks for having me. It was a blast. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.